morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our 14th episode of The Artful Nutmeg. This week, we are talking about Saudi Arabia's ambition to become a powerful force in the world of football. The country is using a near limitless well of money to draw the biggest names to their domestic league. We are looking at just a few steps of the con- how the country has taken to assert dominance in the sporting world. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? Last week, I complained about the heat, but I wasn't quite ready for what this week would bring because we, uh, my wife and I, are doing some internal uh, renovations to the house, uh, mainly painting and and whatnot, but uh, we've had a couple of days of just kind of like getting the house ready, cleaning, and like, you know, getting stuff right so we can paint, and then uh, doing the actual job yesterday, doing some other stuff, and we're just dying over here. But we did have our spirits lifted with the Barbie movie, uh, so I'm I'm kenning Was myself. I'm ke- I'm very I'm kenning over this particular episode we're doing because this is um kind of probably the deepest dive we're gonna do on a topic on this show, or at least this is the the biggest one we've done so far. Uh, mostly because yes, with Saudi Arabia, there is a ton of context that goes around it. Like you, you sent me an article about how uh. They essentially, uh, was it Al Nassar or Al Itahad or which one was it that uh, put up three hundred and forty million for Kylian Mbappe? Um, I believe it's Al Hilal. Al Hilal, that's right. Um, so when you sent me that that message, I was like, okay, this is really what we need to dive into and we are kind of touching on that we're also touching on uh china who during the you know 2010s made a play for you know some of the biggest names in football and splashed a ton of money around at them so we are going to get into this uh right now because there's a lot to cover but anyways why is saudi arabia so interested in football right now So football for a long time has been called the world's game and its stock has been rising as a big business venture for some of the world's largest investment groups. Multinational collectives of billionaires and millionaire investors have been staking claims in clubs and leagues and what could rightfully be viewed as a Game of Thrones on the football pitch. We have made allusions to oil money's influence in this show, and now we're diving deep into the nation of Saudi Arabia and its recent global ambitions to become the Super League destination for the football world's elite players. The central figure of Saudi Arabia's football ambitions may be familiar to listeners who follow global politics, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS for short. In an effort to make Saudi Arabia into a global brand, MBS has sent, uh, set many initiatives to make the country a business destination, and some of those efforts include bringing in high-profile sports entertainment attractions such as the WWE and Formula One. With the Saudi Pro League, the nation's top flight football league, MBS is now setting his sights on attracting the world's top football talent with big money transfers and even larger wages for the world's best players. 
The organization driving these moves is called the Saudi Public Investment Fund, or PIF for short, which is chaired by MBS. In 2021, the PIF acquired an 80% share in English Premier League club Newcastle United. The PIF also uh, uh, also took part in of the uh, Ted Boley-led collective that bought Chelsea in 2022. This is all under MBS's umbrella program called Vision 2030, which aims to diversify Saudi Arabia's investments away from selling oil and to lift the country to prominence in the global stage. The sports are essentially the country's move for soft power and the way the rest of the world views Saudi Arabia's government, businesses, and royalty. 70% of Saudi Arabia's population is 35 and younger, so these optics are the most important for a country with a sordid track record. Another big reason for these huge sports investments has been ins- has insidious undertones. Saudi Arabia is utilizing a method of improving its global reputation in the sports arena. The term sports washing has been coined to indicate countries with long histories of human rights violations. These abuses include criminalization of homosexuality, limiting speech, curtailing women's rights, and the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The degree of sports washing that Saudi Arabia is applying is staggering. The country aims to host 25 world championships across myriad sports by 2030 and a bid to host the 2030 or 2034 edition of the World Cup looks to be the top accomplishment. So much so that MBS has been seen conspicuously courting FIFA president Gianni Infantino at the 2022 World Cup. So this is really just kind of a snapshot of what we're diving into and what what are your thoughts as far as like what uh you know because you and i have very similar interests in you know wwe formula one soccer and saudi arabia has been upping as a toe in each (laughs) (laughs) so you know what what are you know when you started seeing a lot of this happened, you know, and this probably started like around 2017, 2018 or so, like, you know, particularly with the WWE. What were your thoughts with that? Yeah, I mean, I think when it happened with WWE, I was I saw it definitely as a Vince McMahon wants to make some money. Um, yeah, as as he is, you know, being that there are other competing places now that are sort of coming up in the world, they're no longer the only dog in uh in the yard. So for that yeah. for that start, I think, you know, I saw that as definitely a money move, big draw. Now for things like Formula One, I actually thought for Formula One it was good. Um mm. because I think globally then that it's the more places you can get to in Formula One where you can spread the sport is good. It's more of a matter of how much money is, you know, going into pockets. Um, in terms of what's happening with the Premier League, I remember the the buy of Newcastle, as my friend Johnny, who is a born and bred Newcastle fan, loves to remind me that their owner's wealth is more than every other team in the Premier League put combined, um, which is... Terrifying, and thank God there's the FFP because then the Premier yeah. League would be over. 
that is something I did not know. And I mean, yeah, when we talk about like virtual limitless wealth, you know, we're talking, you know, every team in the Premier League combined. And, you know, you're talking top five, six are like nearing or at billion dollar valuations. Yeah, definitely. And and, and I would I would assume, you know, uh, the the wealth that that MBS has in the what's available uh, to the uh, PIF is incredible. Um, there's sort of a story I remember. You know, I'm a I'm a big car guy, and uh, there was a oh, there was some royal. He was like Southeast Asian uh, from a country uh, where he had um, just an entire probably museum stockpile of super rare cars and that you know since his wealth was essentially directly tied uh to the money of his country he had the entire gdp so <laughs> like he could just spend money on fleets and fleets of cars and uh it was an area where you know it's incredibly humid and he kept these cars in essentially a warehouse with no sort of work for preservation and so like all of these cars you know multi-million dollar cars are essentially rotting away there he would keep like a rolls royce outside of his mansion or palace or whatever 24 hours a day running idiot and would just leave it you know for in case he ever wanted to take it he would leave and so you know you're talking about you know wealth (sighs) that values into the hundreds of billions you know and and it's just really crazy just yeah just give me like what one those like just give me one of their like daily (laughs) spends just give me that for like my life and i would be beyond happy i mean they must go through a couple (laughs) million a day it's it's absurd probably um and go on that is that is going to be part of you know sort of when we talk about this big draw of big name footballers and big investments into sports there's a particular reason for that because of the fact that a vast majority of the population of of Saudi Arabia lives far below what you know you know when we talk about like royals and uh business leaders like it is um almost you know pretty much disgusting uh, you know sort yeah. of like the disparity there oh yeah i mean i don't think there's a middle class uh <laughs> like at all yeah it's either super rich or you're serving the super rich um Right. You know, it's just it's just one of those countries where that's happened on the football side of it. What's crazy about and we'll get into, you know, why the big players are heading to Saudi Arabia. The league there doesn't have to conform to financial fair play uh, rules that are instituted by FIFA. Now, you might be wondering what's FFP again? What's financial fair play? It's the rule that a team cannot spend more money than it basically mm-hmm. makes in a year. Um, so whether you have, you know, selling of players, whether it's your commercial or ticket sales, you can't go beyond that and you can get fined. Manchester United actually just got fined uh, a couple of weeks ago for ever breaking these violations, but they were minor, yeah. but they still did it. Um, so in Saudi Arabia, they don't have to do that. They can spend as much money as they want. And we've been seeing that 
uh, yeah, in the in the news and on Twitter, some of the crazy amounts for players that have been coming out. Now, so why are big players heading to Saudi Arabia? The obvious reason for the movement of the top names of Saudi Arabia is money. It's outside the reach of the vast majority of European clubs, and its top clubs are hamstrung by financial fair play rules that stop them from offering the sums of money Saudi Arabia is throwing around. Another reason these players are heading to the country is that it can be used to pacify unrest and political opposition. MBS wants to make sure that the country's youth are happy with the glitz, glamour, NPR that comes with celebrities and sports stars. With Cristiano Ronaldo opening the door last year, a bevy of top players have made the move to Saudi Pro League clubs or have been heavily linked. Now, we'll, we'll get to that later, but Cristiano Ronaldo since has been basically declared that he is the reason this is all happening, which is the most Ronaldo yes. thing to, to do. <laughs> Absolutely. He's he's really leaning into his like Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh like like villain arc now. Like uh so bad. It's it's really funny because uh he he and I you know I've I've got a theory because I almost kind of wonder you know, with the statement that he released, if that was something uh, Saudi Arabia wanted to throw out there right. in light of uh, Lionel Messi signing with uh, MLS, yeah. because because they were not happy. As a matter of fact, yeah, he was a hot target uh, for for Al Halal. I think, and I think that's why they are going for Kylian Mbappe now, is because uh, they thing. got snubbed by by uh messy and man it's just i can't help but to see this is mbs in a way uh throwing a fit through ronaldo yeah. and that's really funny <laughs> which is like the worst person to throw a fit through because he might go to pierce morgan um so let's let's talk about some of the players that are going we're gonna name a couple of them um mm-hmm. some of them are crazy now one of the big ones that went Obviously, there was Ronaldo last summer, but this summer it is, well, not last summer, it was last January, but this summer we have the Ballon d'Or winner, Karim Benzema, who is going to Al Ittihad, which is crazy considering you've just won the award for best player in the world. Um, yeah. You would think that you would want to stay at the top of competition playing Champions League, which Saudi Pro League teams cannot do. Uh, we've also mm-hmm. seen other moves such as N'Golo Kante for, to, who's going to Al-Ithiad as well, who has been a long-term stay in the Premier League. Probably the craziest one, and we talked a little bit about this pre-show, and maybe it's because we yep. both don't really like Liverpool, but um, <laughs> Al-Ithiad uh, has gotten Steven Gerrard as the new manager of the club. Just, just a quick... Uh, Incept, did you see the video of him trying to communicate with his players? No. Oh, it's so good. Okay, I'll send you that. Um, make, okay. Making a mental note. He's basically going like, do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want the ball? Do you want the ball? And the guy cannot understand what he's saying <laughs> at all. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. then he's like, and then he's like, round them up. Round them up. Like, you got to communicate. And you can just tell this poor guy has no idea what Stephen Gerrard is saying. But that is soon to change because he just Stephen Gerrard who is, of course, a Liverpool legend, has the ex-captain of Liverpool, Jordan Henderson, coming over from Liverpool, of course. But here's the interesting thing. He is Uh set to make £700,000 a week. 
which if I just had that for a day, I'd be yeah. so happy. <laughs> if I just it, well, in, I'd be done. And it's really funny too because this is seven hundred thousand, you know, pounds or euros, uh, no pounds, uh, per week, off a twelve million dollar transfer. Crazy. Doesn't make any sense. Absolutely crazy. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't. Especially, I mean, well, and that makes me wonder, like, with uh, some of the wages other players are getting. I I don't know what's been reported as far as, like, you know, Benzema goes. But, like, man, uh, uh, Benzema, that was around uh, 24 to 40 million uh, euros uh, heading over there. So, like, he's, I don't know, I would say that's probably a million. He's probably making, uh, like, two mil a week. Something ridiculous. (laughs) It, it honestly makes me feel um, a little bit sick <laughs> with the amount yeah. of money. It's like, I hope you're donating half of it, at least half of it. Oh, they're not. Oh, they're definitely not. Um, and that's the funny thing, because like it is uh, you are getting some aging players, uh, you know, particularly uh, I would say uh, it. Uh, yeah. Conte, probably new Ruben Neves, uh, yeah. Roberto Firmino. Um, but you have Jota uh, coming from uh, Scottish uh, Premier League club Celtic, and he's not very old. No, no. So I think I I think the surprising thing for me is I get it if you're going when you're old and it's the last payday. You know, Benzema's thirty five yeah. upwards. Um, so I understand that Ronaldo is four hundred years old. Um, yeah. Conte's thirty five, thirty four. So that makes sense, but I kind of don't like players like Jota and, you know, Alan St. Maximum, who still have mm-hmm. a lot of time in their careers, who have basically said, ah, screw it. You know, we're going to go. Yeah. Um, and it's, same can be said for Kelly and Mbappe. He's only 25. Oh, I think. dude, he's like 23, 24. <laughs> 24. So, yeah. <laughs> Which sucks. So, you know, I, I mean, here's the other thing is like, yeah, yeah that is. Yeah, but at the same time, he's he's done almost everything. He's, uh, he's won a World Cup. Cup. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he, he didn't win a Champions League with. I don't know. They no, haven't won a Champions League. Which so. is crazy if no. he would go. But what, yeah. what's happening with that deal, which is interesting. So PSG mm-hmm. believes that Mbappe, who has one year left on his contract, could leave for free next summer. Um, he told PSG that he's not going to resign the deal. Now, what PSG think, and they're super pissed off, uh, believe that he's already agreed to go to Real Madrid next summer. Now, what's interesting about the rumors, you're thinking, oh, like, then why is he linked to Saudi Arabia? They only want to sign him for a year. <laughs> oh, funny. They want to sign him for one year, and they're willing to give PSG around $300 million. For one yep. year, I'm just gonna keep saying for one year, and they're gonna give Mbappe 700 million for one year. That's that's absurd. So I I sent you so, I sent you actually I'm gonna pull it up because it was probably the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, it was basically a comparison of what he would make if he made. So if you play for Al Hilal. Next season, for the one season, he would make $776 million. For comparison, 
531 million LeBron James all-time NBA earnings. 494 million Patrick Mahomes steal wow. through 2031. 450 the value of the Arizona Coyotes. 367 the Mets entire <laughs> payroll. 332 Tom Brady's all-time earnings. 225, the 2023 NFL salary cap. <laughs> I like that one the yeah. most. Uh, 185, the value of the Seattle Storm. And 157, Tiger Woods career PGA earnings. So, and he's going to make that in a year if he, if he goes. Yeah. Apparently, he's not interested. He wants to stay at PSG because he wants to play Champions League. Um, and there's this whole big bust up on whether his rights are being... Um, the the French Players Association has submitted a claim that his rights are basically being infringed on, and because oh, wow. they're not letting him play, they're benching him. He's not yep. allowed to train with the team, um. So he's sort of sidelined, but he's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just gonna leave after a year. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's crazy. There are some other players who are, of course, being um. Being, you know, that are rumored to go to Saudi Arabia as well. Apart from Kylian Mbappe, which is the big one. There is Lukaku, who I think is trying to stay in Europe, but money does talk. Paul Pogba, who I completely took out of my brain when he left Man United because, ugh. Um, <laughs> yep. The one I'd be upset about is Bernardo Silva. I mean, I'd be happy with Man City not having him, but he's still quite young. Um, yeah. So I would hate that. Mars has confirmed to go, and there okay. are there are a few other names. Um, you know, there's people like God. If Jesse Lingard went, I'd cry. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's happening with Jesse Lingard. The nice one I saw that was Musa Diaby, who has declined to go, and he is now joining Aston Villa, which is great because they look yep. scary this year. Now, what we got to do sure. is see if there's anything to read between the lines here. The rulers of the country are looking at the support that Saudi fans showed at the 22 World Cup in Qatar. For them, utilizing the PIF to lure top players to Saudi Arabia will keep fans' interest within the country, keep the investments and money within the country's borders, and funnel money from other countries through tourism. There is a long-term vision behind these moves, which is what has prevented a country like China from taking over. Yeah, and I would say one of the biggest factors is probably the media is what Saudi Arabia is going to do uh, to essentially grant access uh, to their league. Um, it's something we'll get into a little bit later when we kind of talk about the Ronaldo and Messi situation. <laughs> but from from what... I'm going to sort of talk about here is is very much a reflection of what happened with China there. They had huge, huge ambitions, which were, um, you know, sort of kicked off uh, by President Xi Jinping. Um, and, and it's kind of the same thing. You've got Xi Jinping, you've got MBS, and they uh, essentially have the same ambition. But there is something a little bit different, and it's that. Uh, Saudi Arabia is essentially, they don't have any sort of guardrails or any sort of, um, 
uh, I guess, roadblock to really pull them back. You know, as, as with China, it really is sort of like the Communist Party's um, uh, sort of influence or or strategy that kind of pulled back what was going on with the Chinese Super League. So we will uh, sort of get into that later. But right now, we're examining the big business in football. And this is a snapshot of what's happening in the world of football. Next to Saudi Arabia lies the United Arab Emirates, which makes up the eastern coast and uh, also borders with Oman to the south. Uh, This state consists of cities Abu Dhabi and Dubai, and the UAE has spent decades staking their claim in football. Emirates Air has been a prominent sponsor in uh, several top leagues, uh, and City Football Group has uh, been establishing territories all across the world with Manchester City being its flagship club. This club group is majority owned by Abu Dhabi United Group with additional investments by American firm Silver Lake and Chinese firms China Media Capital and CITIC Capital. The group owns New York City FC in America and owns clubs in South America, India, China, Japan, and Australia. Recently, Saudi Arabia announced a revamped Saudi Pro League with the backing of the country's Public Investment Fund, or PIF, uh, which, as we said before, has an 80% stake in Newcastle United. The Sovereign Wealth Fund is taking ownership of the country's four largest clubs, Al-Itihad, Al-Hilal, Al-Ali, and Al-Nassar. For further context for our non-soccer following listeners, PIF is also the entity behind the PGA Tour and LIV Golf Merger. Which has been chaos Uh, by itself. (laughs) Super chaotic. Uh, It was, you know, like for, for a hot minute, it sounded like you know, the PGA was going to uh, essentially have a backbone, but they eventually folded because money talks always. Always. Uh, But it was recently, recently reported that dealings involving English Premier League clubs Chelsea and Wolverhampton Wanderers has teams pushing for a fair market investigation into Saudi Arabia's SPL transfer spending. The Telegraph reports that there are allegations that teams are using the SPL as a get out of financial fair play jail free card. The SPL has dumped a ton of money into aging stars for money that European clubs are using to bolster their own war chests. Al Ittihad signed Real Madrid legend Kareem Benzema and is in for a major payday. Uh, financial fair play regulations are one of the biggest factors in maintaining the financial health of European clubs that increasingly face pressure to uh, sign top-level talent. Uh, FFP was established to prevent professional football clubs spending more than they earn in the pursuit of success and doing so not getting into financial problems which might threaten their long-term survival. A 2009 UEFA review showed that more than half of 655 European clubs incurred a loss over the previous year and although a small portion were able to sustain heavy losses year on year as a result of the wealth of their owners, at least 20% of clubs surveyed were believed to an be in actual financial peril so that gives you a sense of uh what clubs are dealing with and you know when you hear about sort of like the footballing pyramid that exists over in europe uh in in how like pro rel is like a healthy you know part of the sport and all of that um what we are seeing is that the clubs that have the 
billionaire or millionaire, you know, financial collectives behind them um, are the ones who who really sort of garner true success. And a lot of clubs are really just skating by. Uh, and, and at a certain point, it just it seems almost like it's on a road to ruin where like you're going to have clubs at the very top just be the ones who survive and everything else just kind of folds under the weight of all of these financial expectations and and am i am i being a doomsayer here am i <laughs> am i overreacting or anything like that is football in danger because of the way things look now i i think the way to look at it is obviously there are some players that have much bigger funds than others um obviously yeah. there's the pia that has newcastle the we know that Manchester City has Saudi Arabian ties that are huge as well. Um, so it it really comes down to how strong can FFP be. The yeah. fact that Man City right now has over 230 charges against it for financial fair play um, issues. I'm glad they're there. I would like to see mm-hmm. something done. <laughs> um, the fact, you know, I'm talking, I'm not talking about money. Oh, that's just like, that's literally nothing to these <laughs> owners. They're like, oh, I just have to spend some money and I can keep doing what I want. Great. Um, that doesn't work out for me. I think it needs to come into where we're actually punishing the clubs. So, you know, I want point deductions. I want trophies taken away. Um, yes, yeah. I'm a Man United fan and I'm always bitter. Sorry. But I I think other, you know, fans of other teams would agree with me that I yeah. think there need to be harsher punishments and swifter punishments. I, you know, this Man City thing is probably going to take like five years until it's mm-hmm. actually figured out. Now, the other nice thing about FFP is for clubs like Newcastle who do have that money, it's restricting them um, from spending, you know, over their budget. A big part of why St. Maximum is going to Saudi Arabia is because they, you know, they don't have enough commercial output that they can spend hundreds of millions. Yeah. Now, that being that being said, they have other ways of getting around it. Um. The new, the new shirt sponsor, I'm blanking on the name, but that's actually owned by the PIF, where they paid themselves, basically. Oh, funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I looked at it, and it was like, oh, private investment fund started that company, and now they're owned. Yeah. By the, and now, yep. they're, now they're representing the team that's owned by the private investment company. So, you know, it's... Yeah, it's it's sticky business. Um, if Man United ever gets sold and it gets sold to the Qataris, we will be in the same boat. And I, yeah. you know, I will be harsh on us as well. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it's it's a sticky way of going away, going through things and taking advantage over other teams that are trying to skate scrape by. I mean, we we look at uh, Luton Town, you know, yes. who who's home field is basically a park and the way entrance is basically like a, a garage. Uh, so we'll have to see. <laughs> but I want to, I wanted to get back into looking at the, the league phenomenon that never really took off. Now, yeah. if, for those who have followed Freddie for 
you know, years. Uh, some people might remember when China tried to do something similar, but it didn't quite work out as well. So before Saudi Arabia developed its ambitions of domination in the world of football, China had made waves as the premier destination for football's legendary players. Chinese Super League had European nations seriously worried about their prospects. Chinese President Xi Jinping personally drove the agenda to build the nation's footballing culture. The CSL was beleaguered with gambling and corruption allegations, so this new initiative drove corporate business and media investments to clean up the, league pros, the league's procedures and optics. Carlos Tevez was one of China's biggest stars at the time, and the then 33-year-old became the highest-earning footballer in the world with a reported wage of £600,000 a week, or roughly $31 million a year. Now, unfortunately, China faced a major hurdle after attracting some big-money footballers. Due to lack of media exposure, the Chinese Super League buckled under the weight of high wages and transfer fees. Teams that were once successful either fell to relegation or liquidation. In 2017, China went full MLS, and we've talked about this sort of deal before, and imposed rules uh -huh. limiting the number of foreign players on a team, a strict salary cap, and a 100% tax on international transfers. This, of course, has severely affected how attractive the CSL is to big money players. That's hilarious. I would never think China would copy the U.S. <laughs> it really, yeah, and, and really it was um, the government, you know, just essentially said this is ridiculous. We are not making anything bad. Like, it's not uh, worth it. No, it's truly not. And when it came down to it, uh, like particularly when COVID hit, uh, you know, China right. had kind of like a a zero exposure rule or, you know, they they kept people within China and a lot of players complained that they couldn't even like go see their families like they were essentially stuck there. And, you know, at a certain point, mm -hmm. coaches and players just picked up and ran. I mean, I would. Yeah, it's. It, when when you compare the two, and we can talk about this at the end, it doesn't really seem like, oh, a hard choice mm -hmm. rather than Saudi Arabia or China. I think it's yeah. it's a pretty easy choice. But moving on, another major hurdle China was facing on a cultural level. China employs foreign coaches who would come with a certain philosophy that clashes with the country's rigid traditions. In an interview with DW, a German publication, Lars Isek describes the Chinese approach to football as robot football. He sees Chinese youth football training as too structural in a way that doesn't work with the free-flowing nature of football. Football is facing an elitist education system, country's one-child policy, and a family unit structure that favors individualism over collective success. And second, he pointed out that the Chinese football teams are not successful in team sports because they have not learned to play as a team. Now, with a one-child policy, parents can be overprotected of their kids. It's why Chinese athletes are most suited in sports like badminton or table tennis. Contact sports like football are deemed too laborious or dangerous for children in certain households. The second went on to say, there is a big fear of losing credibility and respect in Asia. If I make a mistake, I lose the respect to the public. So it's better to not do anything rather than doing something wrong. That mentality has got bizarre consequences on the pitch, according to Sagi. Players don't want the ball at all, whether it's men or women, young people or adults. As soon as there are foreigners in their team, they pass them the ball and try to not receive it back. That's such a really good point. 
So, along with the yeah. culture clash and failure to recoup much of the investment that the Chinese Super League spent, COVID was almost a major factor. Was also a major factor in the downturn of the CSL. During the pandemic, the economy and property market stalled. State affiliate firms and develop- developers reduced their investments, and strict pandemic rules kept fans away from games. Clubs struggled to pay wages, which caused foreign players and coaches to vacate their positions and contracts. The domestic players haven't fared any better. Chinese men's national team failed to qualify for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, which was punctuated with an embarrassing 3-1 defeat to Vietnam. This, promoted, this prompted a prominent Chinese ce- celebrity gong Hanlin to rail against the team in a social media video that received hundreds of millions of views. Whew. Yeah, it was um, it was on Weibo. So like it wasn't something that uh, came out on sort of like the Western social media apps. But that also tells you about like, you know, kind of the sheer size of China. And, you know, you're you're with that type of population they have. I mean, it almost seemed like a slam dunk. But unfortunately, I, I think you know, just with state-owned media, there's not a lot of it that gets out into the Western world. And so, like, anyone who is trying to, you know, tune into these Chinese Super League games, you know, you weren't catching that on ESPN or BN Sports or Sky Sports mm-hmm. or anything like that. You essentially had to figure out, you know, what shady, you know, stream are you going to find on a really <laughs> bad right. website or, you know, um, some sort of, you know, trying to get it on a Chinese site. So you, it was um, really an uphill battle for them. And, and they kind of they put the carriage be horse, before the horse, as as one in my, <laughs> in my region would say. Uh, I was thinking and, that doesn't that, sound very East Coast. <laughs> no that's my that's my midwestern uh coming through but uh yeah no it just caused a huge problem so i think to a degree like mbs saw that happen and was like well okay we gotta figure out how to keep that within how to you know sort of get people to the games and you know create yeah kind of those opportunities for tourism media opportunities that sort of thing but there is you know when we get into it a little bit later i think there's a little bit that's playing against uh you know sort of like the saudi league catching on globally outside of like you know the the heavy football faithful who will figure out how to stream these games um so getting into it, uh, Messi versus the new Messi versus Ronaldo is basically MLS versus Saudi Arabia now. So now we return to the Saudi Arabia conversation and recently has taken an unexpected turn. When Cristiano Ronaldo made his move to Saudi Arabia, it was almost a foregone conclusion that Lionel Messi would follow suit. With Messi facing backlash and anger in France, he was surely on his way out. The Saudi Pro League reportedly offered a wage that reached $600 million. Additionally, Barcelona was vying for Messi to return as a hero uh, to the Camp Nou. But in the background and with relative whispers, Major League Soccer Commissioner Don Garber and Inter-Miami owner Jorge Moss worked quietly and diligently to make a move on the Argentine legend. In an interview with ESPN, Moss said it took him three years of negotiations to bring Messi to, Major League so- to the Major League Soccer Club. 
With the move that shocked the world came a response from the crown jewel of the Saudi Pro League, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. That's great. During a media scrum after playing the first half of Al Nasser's 5-0 uh, preseason loss to Celta Vigo of Spain's La Liga, Cristiano said, uh, the Saudi League is better than MLS. I opened the way to the Saudi League and now all the players are coming here. He added, in one year, more and more top players will come to Saudi. In a year, the Saudi League will overtake the Turkish League and Dutch League. He also stated that he won't return to any European club and said that European football has lost a lot of quality. He's, he, of course, said that uh, the Premier League remains on top and is way ahead of other leagues. The inside perspective on these two players uh, and the deals that brought them to their respective leagues is that both leagues have long-term visions but vastly different approaches. Where Saudi Arabia is able to grab from a virtually limitless source of money, Major League Soccer is depending on personal connections and some creative deal-making to make transfers work. In comparison to Saudi Arabia, Arabia's financial stockpile, MLS made a shrewd 10-year deal with Apple for exclusive streaming rights. What Saudi Arabia needs is the media exposure that can meet the level uh, that Apple has reached with MLS Season Pass. The streaming service is close to boasting 1 million subscribers, but even among Major League Soccer officials, there's little transparency from Apple. Regardless, Saudi Arabia is facing an uphill battle to gain a foothold in global streaming avenues. In the United States, selected games are slated to be available on ESPN, while more locally, Saudi sports company, SSC, hold the right to the Saudi Pro League games and competitions such as the Saudi Super Cup and King's Cup. But there is also a subscription service from Shahid uh, who have exclusive global streaming rights. It's £8.99 per month or $76.99 yearly, which works out to slightly cheaper. And the match replays are included as well as a plethora of Saudi Arabian TV shows if one is so inclined to watch. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that is another, you know, s- sort of streaming service. If if that is truly where you, wanna you want to go, because we really need watch, another streaming service. <laughs> yes. If you want to watch some of the best players, in the, I mean, you could say the same thing about the Apple. If you want to see some of the yeah. best players in the world play with players far 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 below their level uh you kind of have to pick your poison so like are you a messy devotee uh and then maybe catch some of the other players that are playing in mls and maybe i would i would say mls is a more talented league than saudi arabia uh overall uh minus some of the bigger names that are coming uh yeah that's that's a hard argument for me i it's a, I think in terms of yeah. in terms of every player on the team, MLS okay. is better. In terms of yes. like there's more like the level of skill and play is better. But I also think that the draw Well that yeah, basically me, for sure. basically Messi is Messi is the MLS draw right now. Right. He's I mean, yeah. if you go on that on the Apple TV app, it's literally just Messi on on every single thing it's like Messi went to training Messi used a water fountain Messi you know tied his shoes um yeah whereas the Saudi league is gonna have much more top names on it and that's genuinely just because of the spending power so it's gonna be hard to determine I don't know I might get that pass I might actually do it 
You know, I actually do. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe I, would, I, I would can be our, our Saudi uh, coverage correspondent for the next season. Ah, I love it. Uh, that would be that would be excellent. You know, and and I'm interested to see what that coverage is like. You know, the the thing I would say is like with ESPN, man. ESPN is like you know sort of like the they they they're the worldwide leader in sports unless your sport is not one of the big three American sports. Yeah. Uh, their coverage outside of their website because their website still does like really good sports coverage but you know when you're talking about television if you're talking about like pre and post game production oh espn has always been awful take it from someone who had to suffer through watching so much soccer coverage on espn and having it just be like the most lifeless just essentially just a stream of the of the main game game itself nothing outside of you know uh you know sort of hyping it up like yeah. that's sort of the thing where they just put it out there uh I, same thing with I formula hate, one i hate to talk bad <laughs> on a group of people but the espn fc which is like the the footy area of espn is some of the worst. Hey, now this this includes DC's favorite son, Sebastian Salazar, DC United coverage man for like he's the okay. twenty twelve. He's okay. To 20, he's okay. <laughs> but some of them are so yeah. bad. It consists of a Liverpool legend from like the sixties who just disagrees uh. with everyone. Um, <laughs> Craig Burley, who um, played like five times for England. Total. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a guy, oh, what's his name? Uh, he's my least favorite too. But he, he, all the only thing he does, he played for like, he played in like the Venezuelan league and like played for Venezuela like 20 times. Um, oh, that's wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, he, the only thing he does is criticize people. And then he like yeah. makes a joke about them, and I'm like, dude, this is not punditry. You're just roasting people on the show. It's so irritating. I'm sorry, I'm going completely off off brand, and I apologize. But not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah. Though, no, look, I mean, yeah, we follow it quite a bit, and we we have our own hangups with with. But yeah, I I totally agree with you on that. Um, yeah, it's just not good. But. <laughs> So, you know, it this comes down to it is a wait and see what happens type of situation. Like, does, you know, Saudi Arabia take off? Um, you know, I would say, you know, if if MLS wants to compete, they're going to have to, you know, sort of uh, get some of these like restrictions, uh, I guess, you know, loosened on these teams because it's it's got to be more than aging stars like it has to be also a destination for younger talent and not just the ones who are you know flagging in europe and and need kind of like a confidence boost or you know kind of like something that gets their career started again uh so i i am very excited to see how all this shapes out i think for the most part i think this is beneficial to mls having this type of you know, competition in Saudi Arabia and then, uh, you know, with the hype that comes with Messi and, you know, sort of continuing the Messi versus Ronaldo debates, I think is good. But I think Garber and company definitely need to take steps uh, to to stay up there. Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's going to be interesting 
if Saudi Arabia next summer is doing the same type of spending, um, yeah. they probably can, which is probably the worst part. But I'd be interested to see if they do it. Yep. But, you know, I, I would say, you know, uh, we are going to include extensive show notes like we put together probably, yeah, like well over a dozen uh, different sources, all really like diving deep into this. Um, it, you know, the other thing is like there's so much to this. You could almost do like an entire series uh, on this topic. And a lot of these articles dive into a lot of different numbers, a lot of breakdowns about, you know, sort of like the Vision 2030 plan and, and essentially how all of this is getting mapped out. But moving on to uh, the important news. The Women's World Cup is going on, and Tom, uh, how are you feeling right now about <laughs> I England? I was waiting for this. Uh, I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm incredibly nervous um, in terms of England. They came in with a strategy. They... <sighs> so we, we played um, What's Her Name Up at Striker, where I thought it should have been Rachel Daly who started at Striker. Because she scored 22 goals in 22 games in the mm-hmm. women's prem. Um, they were incredibly rusty trying to, you know, just send crosses in. But, you know, I also have to give credit to Katie's goalie, who had about nine saves on the night. She was a stone wall. Um, yeah. So we got the win. Win to win. It was a very touchy win. I wasn't sure, you know, if we if we deserve more than one goal and if they didn't, if, if we should have uh, kept the clean sheet. And was it Alessia Russo who was, yeah. So Alessia Russo started, okay. which is interesting because yep. usually I, when she played for Man United, she's now going to Arsenal. Yeah. Um, they start her as striker, which was confusing to me. I would have rather have seen Rachel Daly play striker, who looked really good when she finally came on, and kept mm-hmm. Alicia Russo on the wing. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's something we'll see. I'm pretty sure the game is at 4.30 in the morning, so I will not be watching that one. I watched yeah. the England game last time I woke up. Yeah, it's Friday at 4.30 in the morning. Fantastic. Um, I will be watching the USA-Netherlands game tonight, though, which, of course, is a rematch of last World Cup's final, which I think is the first time that's ever happened in the Women's World Cup where the two finalists have met up in the group stage. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to that, hoping the Netherlands do a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, me with the United States, I think at the same time, yes, I am nervous. I think uh, so it was it was very interesting. So I I went to a bar uh, with with my wife and we watched the game together. It was great. Uh, And and it was kind of funny because Vietnam they put up an impressive performance. It was a three nothing loss for them. Um, but to see the way they started that game and the way their keeper like channeled some powerful, like Timmy Howard energy throughout yeah. uh, Adrian towards the end was like, I'm 
almost kind of rooting for Vietnam now because like they are keeping themselves in this game in a way that like I never would have imagined. And I'm sort of sitting here like, yeah. And so to kind of back it up, uh, you know, the uh, I think some surprising uh, information came from it in that um, some of the younger players. Uh, so I want to say like Sophia Smith, she absolutely she lit it up. Probably the last person I would have thought to get a brace in that game. Um, I would have put my money on Alex Morgan or, you know, uh, Trinity Rodman uh, to get in there. But, you know, here's the thing. I think the U.S., like, I I don't have the stat on me, but I want to say they took at least 30 shots on goal. It was, yeah. uh, they had no problem. Once they, you know, they kept the ball on the attacking on, you know, the, the attacking third against Vietnam. And uh, they definitely had the the speed to kill. Um, but what Vietnam had was a physicality uh, that I think the United States is absolutely able to rise up to if if not, you know, dominate with. But I don't know. There was a degree of playing to the level of the competition or saving themselves for the Netherlands that just kind of irked me a little bit. It was, uh, it wasn't as spirited as I thought it would be. Uh, I don't think they came out quite ready. Uh, Trinity Rodman actually went down, uh, with a pretty nasty, I, if, if it was like, uh, she hurt her back or if she knocked the, got the wind knocked out of her, but like she went down very early. I want to say like within the two minutes and, uh, that was kind of nerve wracking. Um, I was I glad think, she kept playing uh, though. See, she did keep playing and she, and she did look good, but, um, you know, for the most part, I think, yes, there's also some players who have been hurt or are, you know, kind of, nursing some knocks coming in rose lavelle for example julie Ertz, i think was out for gosh i think i read like two years or something like that so like she is um and it's like hey can coming. you can you uh help win a world cup again and be the yeah be the cdm so. Okay. Uh, but you know she is being used uh, as a central defender, which I think uh, opens up uh, for for you know Crystal Dunn and Daly to sort of uh, work those flanks. And um, yeah, I think if Roosevelt if she comes back and you know is the impact player she always is, like I think they're gonna be fine. Uh, again, you know with uh, Sophia Smith. She was really impressive. I hope she keeps that up. And I hope Alex Morgan and Trinity Rodman sort of find that, you know, mojo or something. I mean, uh, yeah, the, uh, the Vietnam keeper blocked an Alex Morgan uh, penalty, which was That's super right, impressive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think uh, Andonovsky uh, has has a lot on his plate. He's got to figure it out. He's got to, you know, get this team to like play as a team rather than just having some some individual performances. And I think they'll be fine. But uh, yeah, no, the the Netherlands and Portugal are going to be interesting matches. Um, and then just to kind of round it out, uh, Philippines stun host uh, New Zealand. The ferns ferns came close. Uh, first, when Hannah Wilkinson's header ended up in the roof of the net. Uh, then, when Jackie Hand's low strike pinned off the uh, upright and into Olivia McDaniel's hands. Uh, with each attack, these 
those pesky noise levels mounted, and rather than uh, being drowned out by their Filipino counterparts, it was uh, the home support that reverberated around the cake tin. And yeah, unfortunately, they were unable to sort of come come back, you know, especially after that upset against Norway. Uh, it's it's right. this is kind of going to be an interesting World Cup. Yeah, I think the team I'm scared of the most is uh, Spain. Um, Spain's going to be <laughs> deadly. Eight, eight goals in two games. That is not good. <laughs> that is yeah. not good. We're going to have to see. Um, they have a couple players who I've always been um, a fan of. Mar- Maria Leon, who's one of their center backs, mm-hmm. is like one of my favorite women players ever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if if it's not going to be England, I hope it's them, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like it. I mean, you know, I think, just that, I think the U.S. Team. has still got it. but Yeah, I mean, I think the we'll U.S. See. is clear favorites. But <laughs> if if it's not going to be England, I hope it's Spain. Yeah. But, you know, for, for the most part, I think, you know, when we were talking in last week's episode about, you know, sort of like the questions about the youth of the United States or, you know, some of the younger players, if they're going to be able to rise to the occasion, I, I think they're going to be fine going forward um but on to uh Lionel Messi again uh he lights up Atlanta United in the first start for Inter Miami uh Messi first, was first uh, league it, start <laughs> for, yes okay uh anyways Messi was in the Inter Miami starting 11 for the first time against Atlanta United on Tuesday having come off the bench for a score on a famous free kick in Friday's win over Cruz Azul, Azul in the uh, League's Cup. And on Tuesday, Messi combined with his longtime teammate Sergio Busquets, who lofted a pass over the top of Atla- the Atlanta defense. After hitting the post initially, Messi was able to tap home his own rebound to give Miami a 1-0 lead in the club's second League's Cup game. He made it 2-0 with just a few minutes later, uh, taking his goal tally to 3 in just 58 total minutes of play. The finish uh, came thanks to a cross from Robert Taylor, who teed up uh, the ex-Barcelona man for the second of the day. Uh, some of these goals um, were really impressive. Some some real uh, tiki-taka he's, stuff he's too going good for on. The league. He's too good for the league. He's definitely too good for the league. He was having the time of it. It was like he was in practice. It was just yeah. like so simple for him. It was like, oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. Like uh, him and I think it was Robert Taylor. He gave two assists to and it was just like, oh, all right. Well, looks like nice. To, nice to see how easy it is for Messi to get to a guy who hadn't really done much uh, this season. And now Messi's coming and he gets two goals off the bounce. So, um, so. it's too easy. Too easy. Speaking of too easy, uh, UK billionaire Joe Lewis, owner of Tottenham soccer team, <laughs> charged with insider training in the U.S. Uh, British billionaire and Tottenham soccer team owner uh, Joe Lewis has been indicted on charges of slipping confidential stock tips to his romantic <laughs> partners, private pilots, and other pals. U.S. prosecutors said Tuesday. Tuesday. I say it like that. Um, Lewis's biotech hedge fund signed a confidentiality agreement that prohibited disclosing the information or trading on it. 
But the indi uh, indictment said that he told his girlfriend to buy the company's stock, then told the pilots the same as they flew uh, the couple to Massachusetts from Seoul, uh, where the two had been staying in the swanky Four Seasons Hotel. Oh. The stock price shot up after the clinical trial results and the financial moves were announced. And the girlfriend uh, more than doubled her money, netting about $850,000, according to the indictment. So Spursy. Very Spursy. I also love how AP calls them uh, Tottenham uh, soccer team. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. As an Arsenal faithful, that that makes my heart smile oh, a little man. bit. I they just love they it. just can't win it. Actually, they apparently just won a trophy. Uh, I think it was yesterday. I mean, not a real trophy, but they won it. They won the <laughs> Tiger Cup. The oh, which I okay. don't know what that is, but yeah, they won the Tiger Cup. I mean, they it was probably like one of those one game knockoffs. Uh, oh, yep, yeah, where you get a cup for it for some unknown reason. Uh, yes, yeah, so they won that. This is this is great news to hear. I love seeing billionaires get brought down, and it's even funnier when they own Tottenham. Absolutely. And lastly, we do have a we we do have a uh, Kylian Mbappe, but I think we we sort of discussed that, that earlier. Yeah. Uh, but. I, I, I want to get your spicy thought on this. Uh, World Cup exec says Premier League games should go to the USA. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, who is bidding to host the 2026 World Cup final in his state, believes the English top flight should host matches across the ocean and is confident clubs would benefit from the idea. The idea of Premier League matches being held in other countries has been floated around for several times over the years, but fans have not supported such proposals. In 2008, the then Premier League Chief Executive uh, Richard Scudamore uh, suggested that a 39th game of the season could be played outside of England, but the idea was soon scrapped. American football has had no such issues, though, as the NFL has been staging games outside of the United States every year since 2007. Tom, should the Premier League play matches here in the States? Um... I I don't think you're going to like my my thought on it. If I'm a finance guy, like if I'm thinking on the financials uh -huh. of it, it's a great idea in terms of what it does to the players and and well to the club, I think it's a terrible idea. Um mainly you you got to remember yes for the NFL. And I've actually watched interviews of guys who have gone to play over in or those, you know, those London games in the NFL mm -hmm. season, and they all say it's awful. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> they all say that like the time change and then the ways that the team has to work to get you used to the time change uh, is like really, really hurts on the player's body and their mind. And it also is, you know, for a one-off, it's just not really worth it. Um, yeah. Also, you have to remember that in the Premier League, it's not just the Premier League schedule. Um, you've got FA Cup, Carabao Cup, whether you're a European team. And, of course, the U.S. is going to want the big teams to come. Those are the money drawers. Um, no one's going to be super excited about, you know, <laughs> Brentford versus Luton. Um, no one's going to be like, oh, like, sell out the stadium. 
you know they i mean to be fair though that's that's sometimes what the united states sends over it's is often enough it's like jaguars versus patriots or something literally like though that. Like, yeah they, yeah <laughs> i was i was laying well the jaguars have a huge london connection with the Khan family of course okay yeah um i mean people always make a joke that that's basically their home stadium at this point um, oh, funny so i mean i i think it would be it wouldn't be worth it for the teams and the players but if if you're thinking of it financially, yeah, I mean, go for it. But I think in terms of scheduling, it would be a terrible idea. Well, looking back with the, uh, you know, Premier League playing in the U.S. essentially uh, this month, uh, mm-hmm. the there was a clash of Manchester United and Arsenal up in New mm-hmm. York at MetLife Stadium. Basically sold the place out. Yeah. So, like, clearly... That's like that's a huge draw. Well, the highest, that, I mean, that's the highest. That's um, a nothing match. The highest grossing attendance for a game was 2014 in um, the Michigan Stadium, which was a hundred yeah. something thousand, which was Man United versus Real Madrid. That's the yep. highest uh, sport attendance in the U.S. Actually, we're playing Real Madrid tonight, uh, mm-hmm. so who knows? Maybe it'll be packed again. But yeah, I mean, for those special ones, those one-offs are great, but you got to get those really big teams. Uh, in, yeah. in terms of the Man United Arsenal fight, though, it was hilarious. Oh, that was great. They called it the, the Twitter Classico. I sent the video to, to my Arsenal buddies, and they were like, uh, the Twitter Classico in real life. <laughs> no kidding. And probably none of those guys are from the UK no, at all. No, I bet they're all from no. like Philly and yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. But man, we are crossing uh, well over the hour mark. So we are going to start wrapping this up. Tom, where can f- people find you online? Yeah, so you guys can find me on Instagram at TIFerguson94. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter or X. I don't know what we're calling it now. Um, this is going to stay Twitter. Like, it's, it's just going to be Twitter. I'm just going to keep calling that. Yeah. He's st- you know, he stole that logo. Anyway, you can um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Snitch McConnell. And Dana, where can the good people find you? And find the Artful Nutmeg. Yeah, so find me on Twitter at Daniel605Wise and on Instagram at ProfessorSDFC. Search for The Artful Nutmeg on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Tom, I'm, I'm excited. You know, we had a really good one this week, but next week we're going we're gonna to have some fun. We got a good topic. Uh, you know, since, since we're in the offseason, there's not a lot. Ha- I mean, outside of the World Cup, obviously. But, you know, with this, we're keeping a theme of business dealings in football. And, and next week we're going to talk about some of the most awkward topsy-turvy uh sort of trapdoor type of transfer dealings that didn't quite happen and i'm i'm super excited to get into that but i want to thank all of you who listen to our show and support us remember to be well and watch more soccer